Years ago, before Bishop Lawrence, our current bishop, before Bishop Salmon, our former bishop, there was Bishop Allison. Bishop Allison was a, a wonderful theologian, a genteel southern man with this beautiful southern accent. It was just wonderful to hear him teach. And one day he was teaching at St. Helena's, a sermon series, and uh, he reached this fevered pitch. He reached the crescendo in the sermon. And he said to the congregation, the problem with the world today, the core of the issue is the idolatry. If you want to find sin in the world, you need to look no further than the idolatry. If there's one thing that God hates on this earth, it is the idolatry. Confused, one of the curates from up north turned to the rector and said, Why is Bishop Allison so fired up? And what does he have against the dollar tree out on the Sea Island Parkway? The rector chuckled and replied, He's saying idolatry, not the dollar tree. Sometimes I realize Southerners need some translation, and I'm probably the worst. But God does hate idolatry, right? It's been that way since the beginning. Remember Eve looking at that fruit on the tree and saying, man, this is pleasing to the eye. It looks scrumptious to eat. I I love God and everything now. Don't get me wrong. Adam and I love to take our walks in the cool of the day with our God. But a bite of that forbidden fruit, that's not going to hurt anybody's soul. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? It did hurt her soul. It hurt his soul. It ruined creation. God hates idolatry. So today I want to address three things about idolatry. First of all, what is idolatry? The effects of idolatry, number two. And how do I get rid of my idols? Because we all have them. So what is idolatry? The working definition for us today is when anything of the created order, be it a person or a thing, that we look to that person or thing to give us what only God can give us. When we look to something in the created order to give us something only God can give us. Tim Keller's written a beautiful book on this. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's called Counterfeit Gods. He explores all the idols that we make for ourselves. And in this book he says, An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, If I have that, then my life will have meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant. Then I'll feel secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something Keller says, but the best word to describe it is worship. Worship. Idolatry is worshiping anything at our core other than Jesus, okay? Here's your litmus test. Uh, It's whatever gets you out of bed in the morning. It's whatever you think about the rest of the day. That's your idol. Your idol is whatever is in the center of your heart that you most desire. Here's the test. Fill in the blank. If I had blank, my life would have meaning and I would be satisfied. That's your God. Or conversely, ask yourself this. If I were to lose blank, whatever person or thing it is, then I don't know if I could go on living. That's your God. That's your idol. Typically, idols are good things, okay? They're good things that the devil takes and twists in such a way that they become God things. He takes penultimate things and makes them ultimate. Good things into God things. So an idol can be your spouse. An idol can be your children, 
if they're the center of your existence. An idol can be your career or money. Remember Jesus said you can't serve both God and money at the same time. One's going to take the throne of your heart or the other. It can be a romantic relationship with somebody. That can be your idol. Remember the movie Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire goes up to Dorothy at the end and and says to her, uh, you complete me. What an idolatrous statement to say about another human being. You're the center of my meaning. You're my purpose. An idol can be physical beauty, your own or somebody else's. An idol can even be your religion when your religion is void of a relationship that is authentic and is the center of your heart. Anything at your core that captivates your passions and your mind can be an idol. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's look at this very briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. It begins like this. Uh, Who is Paul writing about? Let's ask ourselves that. In verse 1, he calls them brothers, okay? And at the end of verse 1, he says they are in Christ. So those are the clues. Who's he writing to? Brothers in Christ. When they're in Christ, it's one of Paul's favorite expressions of saying they're in the church. They have faith. They're part of the body of believers. They're in my spiritual family. So they're much like us here today. They are in Christ, but they've got a problem. And here's the problem. Three times in three verses, Paul says this. Look at verse 1. But you are still people in the flesh. You're in Christ, in church, but you're acting as though you're in the flesh. You're still in the flesh at the end of verse 3. And then he says you're behaving fleshly in verse 3. They're brothers in Christ, members of the church, people of faith, and yet they're behaving as unregenerate unbelievers. You see the problem. They've allowed Christ not to be ultimate, but to be penultimate. Not to be the center of who they are, the meaning for why they exist, but somewhere on the periphery of their lives. You see, they lost their center. Paul has to remind them. Look at verse 4. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. I'm great. He's my spiritual leader. Some say, I follow Apollos. Man, he's a great preacher. What a great guy he is. Paul's saying, whenever you take somebody or something from this created order and you find your source and your meaning and your identity in something finite, you're going to head for danger. It's spiritual idolatry. It's soul murder. That's my Savior. If you point to anything other than Jesus, it's an idol. Look, look, this is where I draw my meaning. If you point to anything other than Jesus, that's your idol. Look, this person completes me. If you Look at anybody but Jesus. That's your idol. So Paul addresses their spiritual immaturity this morning. He calls them a big bunch of babies. Okay? If you're going to act like babies, I'm going to treat you like babies. He says in verse 1, I can't even address you as spiritual people anymore. In verse 2, he says, man, I've got to go back to feeding you spiritual milk because you're not ready for spiritual meat anymore. I follow Paul. What a great leader he is. I follow Paulus. What a great preacher he is. Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Don't follow me. Don't follow Paulus. Follow Jesus. Make Jesus your center. Let Jesus satisfy your soul. Put Jesus on the throne of your heart. And then in verse 6, he drills down even further. 
He says, I, Paul, I merely planted the church. Paulus, he merely watered your church in faith. It was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. You're God's field. You're God's building, not mine or Apollos's. We don't give the growth. Our work is fruitless unless Jesus is at the center. So those Corinthians, they had fallen into idolatry. And some very fine church people don't find Jesus to be the center, but somewhere on the periphery. There are three things, effects of idolatry. Uh, one is this, and it's very obvious, okay? Very obvious that our God's a jealous God. One of the things that God hates is, is idolatry because he's jealous. He designed us to worship him and him alone. That if we lose that as the center of who we are, we become creatures without a purpose because our purpose is to glorify the Lord. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your heart and all your mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment. This is the best thing I can say to you. You're designed to put Jesus at the center. Number two, the second effect, is always division. When idolatry sets in, it's always division. You see in chapter 3 of Corinthians, um, the heading in English is usually in your Bible, divisions in the church. Their idolatry had led to division. Some had divided themselves because of spiritual gifts. I speak in tongues better than anybody else. I prophesy better than anybody in the church. You see, a penultimate had become ultimate. A periphery thing had become central. Some idolized their success and their money. And the rich folks were coming to the communion table and eating all the bread and drinking all the wine. First, because of their place in society. And the poor were left with nothing on Sunday mornings. And as we read today, some said that their spiritual guru made them better than other folks. And they idolized Paul and Apollos. My friends, whenever the church looks to anything as its center other than Jesus, divisions will tear her apart. But I have never seen a church that is healthy, that has Jesus at its core, that is torn apart by petty issues. Sure, we may disagree. I like modern music. I like hymn, old hymns. Sure, we may say, well, you got to be baptized fully in the water, fully immersed as an adult. Some say you just have to be sprinkled. But those are petty issues when Jesus is the glue that holds you together. Now, we can dialogue about those things, and they're important, but they're not ultimate. They're not the core. They're not the center. Jesus said, if we have him at the center, the very gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. They just can't. He's the glue. Go home today and read First Colossians 1, verse 15 and following. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether it be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. My friends, Jesus created the entire universe. He puts the planets in their courses and makes sure everything in the heavenly uh, realm is held together by his hands. Do you think maybe if he's the glue that holds the universe together, he can hold the church together? Do you think maybe he can hold your marriage together 
if both you and your husband agree that Christ is the center of your relationship, I think that's why Paul said, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And the reason is that for one person, Jesus is the center. He's the glue. And the other person has a different worldview, a different center. One is operating in the flesh, as Paul said this morning. The other is operating in the spirit. Jesus in him, churches, friendships, marriages, families, relationships can all hold together. Paul says in verse 11 today, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid in Christ Jesus the Lord. Everything else is sinking sand, my friends. The third effect of idolatry is this, and it's very simple. Your idols will jilt you at the altar every single time. Whatever you cling to, whether it be a person or a thing, they will leave you empty in the end. They will crush your soul. If you're old enough to remember, you may remember that some people said, I follow Jim Baker. Others said, well, I follow Jimmy Swaggart. Some of the modern generations might have said, I follow Mark Driscoll. Others might say, I follow Perry Noble. No, Paul says, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. My friends, we're probably in the most polarized political uh, mindset in America that I have ever seen in 50 years right now. Some of our folks are out there, you know, making periphery things central. I follow Bush, or I follow Obama, or I follow Hillary, or I follow Trump. Politics are important, and dialogue about politics are, is important. But if Jesus is the core, he doesn't tear us apart. He brings us together. You see, when periphery things become central to our lives, and my party loses, or that romantic relationship ends, or my career starts to falter, or that spiritual guru that I've followed shows that he's sinful and human after all, then I become crushed at the altar of my idol. I want you to leave you with a bit of my story, okay? Because I was once one of those church people who was happy to drink milk, wasn't ready for meat. Uh, I was baptized as an infant, confirmed at age 13, went to church pretty regularly, said my prayers when I remembered to at night, read my Bible in a very superficial way. I was like those brothers that Paul's addressing. I was in Christ. I was a believer, a brother, but Christ was on the periphery of my life, not the center. At the core of my life was my father, whom I admired, my mother, whom I loved with all my heart. Uh, at the center was football, my, my career, my sport, that I, I just ate, slept, and drank football. And then there was this girlfriend I had dated for a while. Those were my core. And then I went off to college to play a little football, and the storm hit. The rains came, the winds blew, and the waves bashed against my little tiny spiritual house built on the sands of the seashore. And as Jesus said, the crash came, and the crash was great indeed. My father was found to be a serial adulterer, had been for many years, and my parents were divorcing. My mother contracted cancer, of which she would later die. The sport I loved seemed not to be everything that was cracked up to be in college, and the girlfriend I thought was my center and my core, she left me. I cried out to God during that time, but 
God was either mute and couldn't speak or deaf and couldn't hear because I didn't hear a thing from God. And I just left God, heck with God, for two years. Didn't pray, didn't go to church, didn't do anything. And then one night at the lake about midnight, we were with some friends, some buddies of mine. We were talking about our glory days, having a few beers. And the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit put a dread upon my heart and a deep, dark loneliness unlike anything I'd ever felt in my life. And I realized I had no core, no core left at all. And I went home that night and got on my knees for the first time in a couple of years. And I, I just cried out to God, God, you've been on the periphery of my life for so long. I want you to be the center of my existence. I want to find my meaning and my purpose in you and you alone. I want to find my significance in you. I want you as Lord, not as something on the periphery. I want you at the core of who I am. And you know, God showed up then. God showed up in a mighty way. The Holy Spirit just filled me from head to toe with a, a warming sense of love and forgiveness that I'd never felt before. God was not just a box to be pulled out when I needed him most. He was at the center. He was my rock. And I realized what Paul was saying in Philippians 3.8 when he said, I now count everything in my former life as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I was filled like John Wesley was filled at Aldersgate when he said, my heart became strangely warmed when I gave my full self back over to God. As I look back, I know why Paul was frustrated because those were brothers in Christ and yet there was so much more out there for them if they would take Jesus from the periphery and make him central. They were following counterfeit gods. I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. You know, it was that night that I got on my knees and prayed to God that I discovered what Jesus meant when he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Now that was not only Eucharistic, but, but it was also relational. That's the kind of communion that Jesus has for us. We can eat of his flesh and drink of his blood and commune with him, and, and he can be the center of who we are. You know, I was once satisfied with my precious idols, drinking milk and not eating meat, but they will never satisfy you. I still have storms that come, rains that come and winds that blow and waves that bash across my spiritual household. But today I'm founded on the rock, not on sand. So today, how do you get rid of your idols? Well, they can't be removed is the first thing. They must be replaced. Tim Keller said, is there any hope for us? Yes. It's when we realize that idols cannot simply be removed, they must be replaced. Oh, sure, you can try to uproot them, but they're just going to grow back. But they can be supplanted by what? By God himself in Christ Jesus. We can't remove them, but Jesus can. All we've got to do is invite him in. Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. All you got to do is open up the core of who you are. Say, Jesus, I want more and more of you. I want not just a little bit of you. I want all of you. I don't want you to be on the periphery. I want you to be central. I don't want you to be penultimate. I want you to be ultimate. Let Jesus come in. Let Jesus come in. He'll clean the threshing floor. He will take out all the idols you once clung to for comfort. And he will throw out your false gods. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that if we are believers 
in Christ, and we haven't got the message of making him central, that today you would come with more and more of the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us time and time and time again, that we might look back on our life and our achievements and count them rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ as central and as Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.